Welcome to Sustainable Sessions, hosted by yours truly, Lucas and Lauren. Episode 16, featuring Ontario Power Generation. Hello and uh, welcome and nice to meet both of you. Uh, my name is Jane Travers and I am the Vice President for Integrated Fleet Management at Ontario Power Generation and I work in the operations side of the business, the generation side of the business and I, uh, I support both the nuclear and renewable generation fleet. Renewable generation for Ontario Power Generation is hydroelectric, thermal, which is exciting, I'll get to that in a minute, and solar. So our, uh, our thermal fleet used to be a lot bigger. It used to include coal fire generating stations. And uh, in sort of maybe uh, 10 years ago, OPG made a decision to change that. And so we shut down our coal fired stations. Uh, a few of them had actually been converted to biomass and that's why I thought it's exciting. Uh, that's sort of a new fuel technology. Uh, we had a lot of people in the company who were involved in testing and developing the fuel. This is something that uh, is has an international appeal. It is not just necessarily, uh, uh, I would say, something that OPG was using. So it's biomass, it's wood pellets and a lot of development there. So a few of our coal stations were converted to biomass. But in general, yeah, we shut down a lot of power that was, uh, you know, not green energy. And the nice thing is that we could claim that uh, for the province of Ontario, we were a generator that was 99% greenhouse gas free, which is pretty incredible when you think about it. And in fact, one of our stations, Nanticoke Generating Station, which is on the shores of Lake Erie, uh, was recently taken down, demolished, um, watched. I don't know if you guys saw the video, but there was an actual video where they uh, set the explosives and the whole thing was imploded onto itself. It was pretty phenomenal to see. And uh, we have a solar generating station there, so a solar farm, which is a brand new type of generation for OPG. It's very exciting and I would say maybe the beginning of, you know, what the possibilities lie ahead. So that's kind of um, my role at the company. I look after asset management, I look after innovation. I look after data analytics. Um, I also have a big support for the nuclear side of the business that um, has to do with the operations, the maintenance, the regulatory commitments. So uh, that part is new to my job. <laughs> it's not something that I, I'm used to. So I'm learning. I used to work in the nuclear side for 20 years, but uh, when you're out of it for 10, you come back in, you've got a lot of education ahead of you, but it's been fantastic. and. I'm somebody who's been with the company for over 30 years. I'm an engineer by trade uh, from McMaster University, a mechanical engineer at that. And um, yeah, I, I'm an odd person maybe for your generation because I've been with the same company the whole time. <laughs> awesome. that, was, that was a great introduction and you really went, and we're gonna dive into those topics 100%. Yes, I can I, imagine. More, yeah. Uh, we'll keep it surface just for the start. So how did you even get involved in OPG? And you said that you're an engineer by trade. What made you go down this alternative and renewable energy space? And what? how did you gravitate towards um, OPG? Yeah, so uh, great question because um, back in the 1980s, uh, when you're coming through high school and it's five years, you go to grade 13, uh, by the time I hit the end of it, uh, three maths, two sciences. 
And that was uh, very common. And one of my friends said, well, what are we going to do? We should go into engineering. And, you know, sure, why not? <laughs> I would say it's one of those things in retrospect where now, because I go out and I, uh, I'm a part of a women in science conference that's held annually out in the Cornwall area. And we're, we're appealing to grade nine and 10 female students, high school students, to stay in the sciences you know, to not, well, math, science, all the STEM subjects, but to not to get out of that too quickly because it, it opens up so many opportunities. But what you hear is, you know, what is engineering? And uh, if it doesn't resonate with you, then it can be a bit of, you know, when I say a turn off, um, I would say often you're finding and you probably felt it yourself as you're coming through high school and you know talking to your friends and your peers and what's everybody doing and what does everybody know but uh, back then engineering I would say for women was you know not a typical um, occupation to be looking at but in general really it is a problem like you become a good problem solver and so that that uh, appealed to me, and and again, maths and sciences, sure, why not? Let's let's go for that. So I did go to McMaster University. I, I'm a native of Burlington, Ontario. Didn't go too far, but I did stay in residence, and uh, actually was a bar manager there, the first woman <laughs> at this bar who was managing, which they thought was odd because they're like, you're never going to be able to push the cases of beer. I said, just you know, wait and see. I'll be pushing the beer. But it was, uh, it was a good experience. And I went into mechanical because my father worked in the steel industry. So no other reason than that, which again, <laughs> in retrospect, why, why? But it has served me well. Um, I had a summer student job with Ontario Power Generation in supply inspection. And that, that was fascinating because it got me out into industry in the Golden Horseshoe area. So I was at fabrication plants they were making valves and heat exchangers and pump bodies and all kinds of things um, because the Darlington nuclear generating station was being built at the time constructed at the time so it was a great you know opportunity to really see the nitty-gritty and understand you know the nuances of taking a design and actually fabricating it and then the output and you know the checks and balances to make sure the quality is good and then off it would go to the construction site so that that was my summer job and i did get hired in as an engineering i guess engineer in training and they assigned me to Darlington. So all this stuff I've been looking at, and then I go out to Darlington. And that was right around the time that they were finishing construction. It was uh, the biggest construction project, of course, in the province of Ontario. Uh, I wouldn't say uh, budget-wise, it was on schedule on budget. Um, you know, when you get to those sizes of projects, uh, you can run into hiccups. So it was, um, Certainly, though, for the scale, we had never seen reactors, nuclear reactors of that size um, uh, being built. And so when I arrived, you can imagine now uh, with it being under construction, you can climb around, you can look around, you can see every facet of it uh, before radiation becomes an issue where you can't get into uh, all these spaces. So it was a good education for me. And I spent two years there. And then I actually applied for a position in our inspection and maintenance group. And uh, that, was, that was a group that supported all of the nuclear power plants at the time. And it, it was because of my summer job, because I was doing supply inspection, non-destructive examination, and this is what this group did. Only it did it 
in a highly radioactive area. So you had high-tech non-destructive examination equipment, you had consoles with instruments, you had computers, you were doing everything remote, you couldn't see it. So it, that was fascinating. And I was with that group for 20 years, loved it. Um, but uh, as things happen, and Lauren's uh, friends with my youngest daughter, I had two, two young girls at the time, and I actually decided that I could not drive out to the uh, east end of Toronto every single day, so I actually quit work. And, um, you know, at the time, I didn't think twice about it. It was uh, the best time, but it didn't take me long to get back in part-time, and so... Um, that was part of that 20-year span and did that. But when the girls were a bit older, I, I was tired of the commute. So I applied for a job down in Niagara. And uh, this was on the renewable generation side of the business. And it was quite foreign. It was actually like applying for a job in a different company. And I remember when I got accepted for the position and I pulled out a map and I was showing it to my friends in nuclear. I'm like, oh, there are a lot of stations. <laughs> it's not just these two that are on the shores of Lake Ontario. It's very big. And so can you imagine? So I go into that um, part of the business in the engineering organization. And now all of a sudden, I'm completely exposed to the big world of hydroelectric power, green energy, so zen. <laughs> and I was totally captivated and fascinated by it. And the Part that's interesting is that nuclear is complicated. So, you know, four units generating power at Darlington, but many, many, many systems on the renewable generation and hydroelectric, way fewer systems, so way less complicated, but we had 230 operating units across the province of Ontario. You know, some were a hundred years old, other ones were brand new, like you get, all shapes and sizes, all vintage, all everything. And so it was a real education in, you know, becoming a steward um, in that part of the business for these amazing assets that, you know, have produced power for such a long time and will con continue to produce power probably for another hundred years, if you can imagine. So wow. that's, uh, that was sort of the big changeover. And it made me uh, appreciate, um, as I said, green energy, climate change, uh, you know, it's, it's so tied to water and water levels and managing water, and maybe lack of water, you can't produce power, all these different things. So um, I, I, was, I was becoming quite interested in it. And as a result, I decided to expand and start my career, which is another interesting thing. I probably had a job for 20 years, but now all of a sudden I was thinking career. And so um, there was uh, an opportunity to go up to our office in Timmins, Ontario, and work up there for just under a year. So I thought, all right, um, you know what, if the opportunity comes up, I will go. And uh, my family, you know, were kind of on board, maybe not on board. Sarah was in grade 12. So, you know, you imagine, you know, your mom's gone all the time and you're applying for a university and you're getting ready for prom, like all these things. But it was, it was a good experience, I would say, um, as a mother of daughters, because the girls were actually very proud and impressed. Not many women would go off and do that for 10 months. 
And I would say the other is they had never had a woman in the role that I was in in the whole, you know, time that that part of the business had been operating. So it was a bit of a shocker for the fellows up there. Not about like I was not not received, but it was just like, wow, this woman from Toronto is coming up here to work. <laughs> so part of um you know, arriving and, and being a part of the team, they were starting to take me out to all the stations. So, you know, from where I live here in Burlington, Timmins is 10 hours by road. So, you know, already it's it's way north, further north than I'd ever been. And now every time I'm going to a station, I could be traveling anywhere from an hour to three hours. Can you imagine driving 80 kilometers on a dirt road in the middle of nowhere with no <laughs> cell service, just satellite, in the middle of winter and then all of a sudden you know the the uh, area the roads open up the forest opens up and you come to a spot and there's this generating station in the middle of nowhere that was built in the 1930s they had even set up a camp that, at that point in time and families lived there there was library and school and banks and you name it everything so Again, can you, it's, it's amazing um, how the power in this province has been pulled together in, in all these different areas, so remote, you would never think about it. And yet that was uh, a booming place back in the 1930s. And I think they closed the uh, community probably in around 1970. So it's a long time. Anyways, maybe I should just pause there because I could go on and on, but that's kind of just getting you a sense of, you know, my first, feeling about the awesomeness of the hydroelectric power and our fleet, Ontario Power Generation's fleet across the province. Wow, I think it's super inspirational too that obviously you're a woman in engineering and I think that's definitely a really big message that we want to share to our listeners that you shouldn't feel limited, you should definitely go into fields and definitely encourage that and I know I met you at WIRE which is Women yeah. in Renewable Energy so for anyone listening you should definitely check that out too. <laughs> yes. um, but a question that I had for you was maybe for our listeners to like kind of break down the different types of energy so kind of what is nuclear, what is mm -hmm. hydroelectric, just like in very simple terms for someone yeah. who and, and let's maybe start with nuclear too because i know that that's kind of like not necessarily a hot top like hot button one but i know some people have some misconceptions or they think that it's you know super dangerous and not that it's not and they you know maintenance is not a, it's a huge factor of it and, and making sure the safety is there um but just to go into that and then yeah exactly talk about the other energy sources and, as well and the fact that nuclear is still going to be a very prominent source of energy i think that's really big and a lot of people don't know that so maybe you can can touch a few points on there as well yeah, so the nuclear power um, is something that um, I would say is very important to the province of Ontario. Uh, we talk about it as baseload generation and really what that means is it's steady. It goes all the time. A lot of power is produced. We want a lot of power, you and me as users. <laughs> so it's important. And um, in and around 19, well, I'd say in the 70s, that's when the Pickering Nuclear Generating Station was first built. And it was, um, it was uh, a four unit station. And uh, then beyond that, they built another four units. But it was a design, what's called CANDU, so Canadian Deuterium Uranium, a special design. And the appeal to, of it was not only obviously that it was a Canadian design, but you could fuel the reactor 
continuously. So the reactor could be running and you could put in new fuel and just keep the power up. And, and it was, you know, unique. A lot of the reactors, you run it, then you shut it down and then you refuel and then away you go again. And so that was, um, the Pickering station is, uh, the one actually of our whole fleet that we're getting ready to decommission. So these these nuclear stations typically run for about 30 years. And then at that point, um, there's, you know, a few components that would need replacement. And I say a few, but these are a big few. <laughs> and one of them is the fuel channels. And that's actually uh, the work that I did for 20 years. I inspected fuel channels. And so what it is, is just a great big long pipe. It's about four inches in diameter. And within that, that's where the nuclear fuel goes. And the fuel bundle is not big. I mean, if you, you might think when you see the size of the stations that, you know, the reactors are huge, but they're not. It's surprising. But the way that the uh, nuclear reaction takes place, um, it's a compact type of fuel. And it's, it's a very uh, well-controlled and high heat, uh, I guess, chemical or nuclear reaction, however you want to describe it. But what happens is that there is um, heat that comes off the fuel and then it heats up water that's sitting in a tube um, surrounding the fuel. And then that water is really hot and goes to a steam generator. And what that does is then everything's contained. So the heat's running through these pipes and on the other side of the pipe is water, which gets converted to steam. And then that steam runs off to a turbine, turbine runs, it's connected to a generator, power out. And it sounds simple, um, but there's a lot of things to it. There's so many safety systems. Um, the nuclear uh, safety, security, culture, very, very keyed in on making sure that, you know, everything is done according to process and plan and regulations and whatnot. So I would say, you know, for the amount of time that the units have been running and running very successfully, and we're talking Pickering, we're talking Bruce, we're talking Darlington within Ontario. Um, yeah, it's been an amazing, stable, and again, consistent, high power, high energy uh, producer for the province. Um, but again, it has a lifespan. So as I said, Pickering has ran for 30 years, and then we did a big uh, refurbishment, and then it ran for another 30, and we're coming to the end of its life. Uh, Darlington has run for 30 years, and now it's being refurbished. And it's going to run another 30 years and the same up at the Bruce. So a lot of uh, good work, good jobs for the province, people in the province, whether you're in trades or engineering or project management, I tell you, it's like the cup runneth over for that. <laughs> but that's so that's how um, nuclear works. And then when you get to thermal uh, to coal, whether it's coal or gas fired or oil or biomass, a very similar concept in that, you know, there's heat produced and then something turns, you know, turns water to steam and then the steam runs to the turbine, spins, it's attached to the generator and power comes out. So where, again, complicated, complex, a lot of stuff going on. So where the simplicity is with hydroelectric is that the water, all it needs either a high flow or high head and it just runs 
spins the generator or the turbine attached to the generator power out. So you can see, wouldn't it be great if there was lots of water and height and all these things available to us? Um, we might not have even needed nuclear power in the province of Ontario. And how I can equate that is if you think about the province of Quebec. I mean, the amount of megawatts they can produce from hydroelectric power is phenomenal. And it's just because they have all the right conditions there for it. So anyhow, that, yeah, that kind of gives you a bit of a breakdown between uh, the different types. But um, I would say there's still a lot of opportunity for um, doing more with hydroelectric power in the province. But right now, Ontario has a lot of power. So, you know, you, and, and so you have to balance spending money on these things versus, you know, if we don't need the power, we don't need the power. So it's, um, it's good and bad, I suppose. <laughs> that was great. That was a super, like, really concise, good summary, especially for people that aren't, you know, yeah. super technologically understanding. Like, that was a, a great summary there. Um, a follow up question I'm actually really interested in. I currently work in business analytics. So I'm always like really, a, a kind of a data junkie when I hear stuff like this. Love it. Yeah. That you definitely have your data, your data that comes through when with respect to the power. Um, what have been like some, I guess, some great insights that you've noticed, or let's let's say like in the last ten years, you can pick any of the energies. Um, let, let's say nuclear and, and hydro, for example. What have been like some new insights in, in terms of like how you can get more out of your system? So like I know. Uh, for hydro, for example, there's like the dams that can be set up to have uh, better water flow that comes through, or maybe I'm speaking wrong here, but no, no, uh, that's good. Ha has there been any like new innovations that you guys have learned through this data mining and as like computers and technology have really helped pick up that have made the process more efficient and allowed us to get more energy out? If you can kind of talk a little bit on that. Yeah, okay. So, so you may be, I uh, hope you're not alarmed by what I tell you. <laughs> So two parts of the business. So obviously the nuclear part of the business, um, wired up, censored up, a lot of data available and uh, certainly a lot of things that could be done. Uh, the hydroelectric side, not so much. Um, you have to think about it's an old industry and a lot of information is in a filing cabinet on paper. And so part of what my team has been working on uh, specifically for renewable generation in the last three years, but now because I'm integrated fleet management and we're doing it for both sides of the business, um, there's a couple of things. So first of all, um, my team looks after uh, what's called the monitoring and diagnostic center. So you can imagine you're sitting in a control room and the operators there are getting signals and they're seeing things and they're making decisions which is good. The monitoring and diagnostic center is sort of advanced data analytics. And so what they're able to do is they set up models to kind of predict failures or how failures might take place. And then they're watching the signals and are the signals staying where they think they are or are they starting to go out of range, which may indicate that, oh, you have a problem. Maybe the temperature's too high here or vibration's too high what should we do? Do we need to dispatch, you know, maintenance people? Do we need to take the unit offline? What's the next step? And engineering, so they would work, you know, in conjunction with engineering to make these decisions. But surprisingly, this has all been very recent. So this whole idea about data culture and innovation and doing more with data and information, there's a desire there. 
but we, I would say we're probably at a lot earlier stage than I think a lot of people would expect. And part of the reason is because on the nuclear side to change things, there's a lot of work that goes into that because you have your design, you have your design basis. And so one little change might affect 50 documents and 100 drawings and we might have to call the nuclear safety commission to get approval so nothing is ever as simple and then on the hydroelectric side it's sure we want to uh, have data available to us but you know which stations are you going to invest the money in and then how do you get the information do you have to put wireless you know wi-fi in uh, we're just getting people to start using tablets instead of paper collecting that and then getting the information to the engineers and the data scientists so that they can start doing things and have more insight we always joke that we are a uh, spreadsheet farm <laughs> but you know what everybody is excited and people want to move forward and, and want to start doing things differently and we have a younger workforce coming in so for even for them you know they don't want to be stuck with paper drawings they want you know the high tech the monitors you know the touch screens of this and something wireless wow like who would have thought but you you know you're dealing with different types of uh, people in your workforce demographics and and i'm not saying old people like me don't want to change because some of them are quite are eager to and maybe they're inspired by you know the younger people they work with or their children or who knows what but then other people you know they're a bit more resistant they're used to their routine and how they do it but I will say there is a lot of opportunity. And one of the areas that we're looking at is um, if you can imagine training. So if we're training people in the trades and, you know, so we're overhauling a, a hydroelectric unit. So it's all pulled apart and the turbines out on the floor and the generators here and we're doing all this work. Well, now we can get either, you know, virtual reality or augmented reality and start building that into our training programs so that you again they're not looking at a piece of paper with like some old <laughs> picture on it which you know doesn't do quite the same thing so a lot of great things are i would say at our fingertips it's just a matter of moving things forward and um as i said the desire is there it's just it's a monumental task yeah. No, that's it's change management, and I, I hear you. <laughs> I currently work in the insurance industry, and I can tell you, I know it, it's not. It's like you said, it's not the demographics. There really is people that want to kind of go through with it. You know, there's people that are more tech natives, like my sister. Even yeah. you know, she was so young when she got her first cell phone. Like it's kind of crazy to think. Yeah. Level of insight on stuff, but yeah, even yeah. Um, for the training aspect that you were talking about for my first co-op. Oh, I remember. It, yeah. I'll give them a little uh, shameless <laughs> plug here, but XO Insights yeah. they use virtual and augmented reality to basically help with high risk training. Um, so it was really cool for me to even just see. Um, a nuclear plant through a virtual lens. And I think mm -hmm. a lot of people won't, don't get the opportunity to go into nuclear plants just because of the radiation and stuff. So by able by simulating that environment, I think it's a really cool opportunity to show like where the technology is kind of um, heading as well. Yeah, I would say one of the um, interesting things, even as simple as drones, you know, and, and I recognize that at one point, you know, a lot of people had them and then there were more regulations that came in and we're not, you know, seeing them buzzing around as much. But uh, we were very interested in it from a couple of aspects. So 
uh, in the nuclear reactor vault. You know, you send in a drone to take measurements or, you know, check things out without having to either build scaffolding or, or get people in. Um, or, well, maybe you're delayed getting people in because you're waiting for the radiation levels to uh, drop down a bit when you shut the reactor down. Also, too, you think about all of our dams, you know, have um, public access water, you know, ways and things like that. So are the booms in place? And, and how are you uh, managing sort of your vegetation management along fence lines and things like that? So it's amazing the opportunities that are now in front of us. And we're finding, you know, what, what can we do with the, uh, the drones? It, the, well, I don't want to say the sky's the limit, but sky's the limit on that. <laughs> Even something as simple as at our um, thermal stations, our bio, our thermal stations have the uh, big chimney stacks. So you get the drones to kind of do a cursory look first before you get the uh, high angle rope people in to uh, get down and, and maybe take a more detailed look. So yeah, it's, it's saving time. And the other nice part is uh, you're getting live information and you're getting stuff that's easily retained and then you can look at it again later if you need to. Wow. Yeah, so exciting. I'd love to hear how technology is getting integrated in it. And like you said, I think it's just going to continue going forward. So be crazy to have this conversation five years in the series. Oh, right? it'll be so different. <laughs> well, and I think that's the other thing too, right? Um, there's, you, you start to set plans in motion for how you want to, um, you know, be more efficient and do things differently and uh, tech will change. So as much as you think, oh, we're gonna do Wi-Fi at all the stations, well, do we really need to? Pick a few now because in two years, maybe it's something different. I'm not even gonna say, like somebody was joking about sad using some Tesla satellite. I'm like, well, I'm yeah, sure, yeah. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, that's really interesting too. Cause yeah, we don't have to get too into that. <laughs> like yeah, that, like you said too, maybe that becomes the new thing, and then it's like you start investing, and then it's already being replaced by something new. That's right. Yeah. I kind of have a question for you because I know with nuclear, they really take into account the disposal piece in terms of when people go into nuclear plants and they're wearing some form of like plastic suit. Where does like all that plastic go, and what are your kind of thoughts? I guess in terms of like climate change on that disposal piece with creating energy? Yeah, so I, so some parts of the uh, nuclear waste management, I, I have a sense of, I know that we have an incinerator up at uh, near Kincardine, up near the Bruce, um, that does some work there. I also can say, um, for example, plastic suits, which I have been in plastics, uh, I won't say many times, not recently, but certainly in the 90s, yep. Um, that we have actually a First Nation company who's involved now with the laundering of those suits. So, you know, it's probably not something that we were considering or even thought about years ago, but now when we're looking at supply chain and, and what are we doing to include our First Nation communities, you know, who have potential to do some of this work into like integrating them more into the OPG business because we do feel that we have a great partnership with them. Um, we are um, partnered with them on four new hydroelectric projects and a fifth, which is our solar farm, uh, the one down near Lake Erie. So 
um, but but on the on the plastic side and the plastic suits. So yeah, you know there are a lot of stuff we uh, look to recycle. There are a lot of things that we don't want in the station whatsoever because there's always the concern about you know if it gets any slight contamination or you have to assume there's some contamination then that waste management is dealt with totally separately. So they do a lot of work to unpackage before anything goes on site. And I would say that's something that's relatively new. I don't recall all those types of thoughts and, and you know, considerations back in the 90s when, you know, I would have been doing a lot of work, at, you know, at the plants. But I would just say, you know, it's, OPG is, um, really taking i would say a proactive approach on on climate change and and they've put together a fantastic plan but they've been thinking about it hard now you know as far as the waste stuff it is important for us to you know figure out how we're going to deal with it because again darlington's going to run another 30 years the bruce is going to run another 30 years um, but I, I've been seen a lot of reduction of plastic use in the stations, um, even even simple stuff. And I think that probably you will have a sense of, you know, if you can just move things an inch, you know, it, it can make a difference. So whether it's uh, plastic bottles or, you know, what kind of containers you're even getting your coffee or your food in or things like that, I've been seeing that. And, and I would say, it, it gets people talking, it gets people thinking. So, you know, every little bit helps. I, and I would say the other thing is that OPG is really pushed to go paperless, which for, you know, someone of my vintage, oh, it's been hard. I would say I'm not quite there yet, but I've, I'm really working on it. I'm, I'm somebody that's, you know, used to taking notes and I, I'm a good, I'm good at typing, but I like taking notes. So, yeah <laughs> but now my my laptop i get it it's my friend it's it's my be all and end all everything's in there even my notes for today are in there so i'm drinking the kool-aid i'm coming along <laughs> that's awesome and it's great to hear that OPG is really looking towards that like you said they have a really proactive mindset when it comes to climate change to back up just a little bit when you brought um solar energy too because i think we haven't really talked about that too much yeah. uh, can you give like a quick little overview of that and i know like there's definitely been innovation in the space solar energy always there's that you know uh negative connotation about the idea that it's intermittent like you know what if clouds are out or it's not sunny and stuff like that can you just talk about like some of the recent innovations that you've heard of and, and what that new project is uh is all about yeah so um again that's I would say I'm, I'm not up to date on uh, the more innovative part of it, but what I can tell you is that OPG was really interested in having a diverse energy mix. Mm. You know, for the longest time, um, well, we had the basic three, never really, uh, oh, and we had, a, we had a couple wind turbines too. We had one up at the Bruce and we had one at Pickering, but uh, they've both been decommissioned. And I get what you're saying about the uh, inter, you know, it's not, it's peaking. It's intermittent, the solar, it's not something you can rely on 100% of the time. And, you know, that goes back to when I describe things as baseload generation, so nuclear, but proudly, proudly saying that our Suratombeck 2 station, hydroelectric station, which is the equivalent of three Pickering reactors, that runs solid, again, awesome power for the province. 
and that's about 1500 megawatts. So our solar farm that's down at the Nanacoke station is 44 megawatts. And I went down to visit and 44 megawatts, wow, like it, it's yeah. huge. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I couldn't get over it. I didn't know what 44 megawatts looked like when it came to solar. But you know what, as I said, it's a partnership with um, the uh, Six Nations and Mississauga of the Credit uh, Nation as well, which is important. You know, um, we feel that they're neighbors, um, they're part of our community, and it was a good opportunity to be a part of that project. Um, thinking about how it's, you know, um, clean and, and part of the land, actually part of the land, I should I'm not joking. Um, we were talking about vegetation management around the uh, solar farm and someone had heard that there was one up near Peterborough and they use sheep. <laughs> they brought in sheep to do all the grass cutting. <laughs> yeah, and they're like, we need to think about this. We can be farmers. But the point is, is that it's, we, everyone is open to new ways to do things and greener ways to do things. And, and I, you know, Again, it, it's an education. Every time we are we're into some new type of generation, it's an education. Yeah. Um, I guess kind of like moving forward, what are your thoughts in terms of like where clean energy or renewable renewable energy is kind of heading, and what are OPG's plans? Yes. Yeah, so um, we are right now um, very excited because we've made a few announcements recently on small modular reactors. So that's uh, one thing that, um, you know, in the next 10 years uh, can be very transformative. So the days of these big, large nuclear generating stations, those days are done. We're doing the refurbishment, as I said, at Darlington and uh, at the Bruce, but um, you won't be seeing stations of that size in Ontario in the future being built. So the more exciting thing is that there's these small modular reactors, very small modular reactors, micro, small reactor, I don't know. Um, it's, it's, it's a different type of technology, more contained. Um, they even talk about, well, if you need a lot or you need a lot of power, you just put a hundred megawatts and a hundred megawatts, like you make it, you know, as a series or a chain of them at a location. So um, that's interesting. And then further to that, of course, we've partnered with Alberta, Saskatchewan, and New Brunswick. So, you know, right across Canada, this is something that's being looked at. And again, it speaks to the investment in Canadian mines and engineering and technology. And why not? Like our nuclear industry, the can-do industry was, you know, just a beacon for Canada, you know, as a leader and for safe power um, production. Anyway, so the, um, the thing I'm most interested in the small modular reactors or getting into the really small ones is uh, how, can, how can we uh, transform um, power up in the north, the way north of Ontario, when you think about a lot of diesel generation up there, fuel has to be brought in, these generators have to be run. So you can imagine if there's some other alternative that, you know, provides really reliable power in a totally different way, you know, recognizing that the communities have to be, you know, open and agreeable to that type of power. But these are where we're seeing the potential. And then I guess the other is, um, I just saw a presentation, we showcase stuff within the company, but um, there was a microgrid uh, set up 
uh, with another First Nation way up uh, near Thunder Bay, actually on Lake Nipigon, the Gull Bay microgrid project, and it's self-contained, and now they're using solar power to um, power their their community, which is pretty amazing because they were part of building it, and now they're part of operating and maintaining it, and it's a source of revenue for them as well. So these things are, you know, very important to have these communities and even the younger generations in the communities uh, see the potential for, you know, what kind of uh, education or jobs or, you know, even just skills learning that could be possible, recognizing that not all of them want to leave their communities. So how, what's the way to bring some other type of recognition that um, tech and, you know, working with your hands and making a difference for, you know, the people around you and providing, you know, power, which is so important to the communities. And, you know, especially through the hard winters, I can tell you, we're <laughs> having lived up there, they go on a long, long time. So anyway, so yeah, that those are some of the things that we're looking at right now. That's great. Um, and I guess to kind of segue into there, I know you talked about people wanting to make impact and involved in technology and all that. Um, what could be some like resources if someone wants to learn more about this topic? Like, do you know, of, maybe not our podcast, but like other um, YouTube channels or even like sources where you would recommend they get more information, even if they want to read or books or anything like that? Yeah, there's, um, there is lots of, I guess, associations and, uh, you know, the, like, for example, the Canadian Energy Association or Ontario Water Power Association, Water Power Canada, even, you know, Lauren, you would know uh, Women in Renewable Energy, Women in Nuclear. These um, groups provide do provide a lot of education. I would say also, too, um, you know, when we're looking at what kind of um, uh, skills, you know, would a company like OPG or Bruce Power or any, any of the power producers in the province be looking for? And, you know, let's talk about data. Data scientists, right? That is, you know, number one in my mind because we can't seem to get enough people, keep them, they're getting poached, but being able to do something with data is a skill that I think is going to take you, you know, a long, long way. Um, if that's your passion, maybe that's the other thing too. <laughs> um, certainly, um, environmental engineering. Um, we've got. Uh, I've met some women who went through um, community college, um, power systems technology, and, and frankly, I was pleased to hear it. And and all these stations need operators, people who you know are willing to work shifts and sit at a panel and you know make decisions and things like that. To uh, when you bring units online or need to take them off or how you're going to manage water. So um, there there is a lot there. I would say too. Uh, I just wanted to um, promote something that I'm working on right now. Um, the City of Toronto has joined Women for Climate, and this is a big um, initiative uh, right across, well, the world. Let's put it that way. So they've kicked off a session, um, a program. Pardon me. And what it is is it uh, pairs up women in, in Toronto who have a project or something that kind of aligns with the, what the city is trying to do for climate change. 
And so in that, they've paired them up with mentors, and, and I'm a mentor, and so the person that I'm working with, Anam Khan, is a uh, grad student at Ryerson, and she's working on stormwater management. So, you know, we're, we're going to do some work together. But this is, again, you know, these opportunities come up, so it's important that students or people in the industry, you know, watch for them, because this is how you're going to um, not only get maybe your ideas move forward in a way that will really help, you know, in the longer term. But also too, I, I was amazed at, um, she's, I think she might be the only engineer. So when you're thinking women for climate, uh, there's, there's uh, education, there's stuff to do with um, even, maybe even making plastic into fabrics. I don't know, Lauren, like, <laughs> I, was, I was pretty impressed, but I was not writing. <laughs> <laughs> At the kickoff, I was paying attention. Anyhow, so I don't have all my notes, but in listening to it, there is a lot of, um, there are a lot of great ideas out there. So now let's see what can happen. Some of it even just has to do with sorting waste and doing something different with that, you know. Wow. That's like super awesome. Hopefully I can maybe get involved with that. That sounds like Yes, a <laughs> go have a look at the website. <laughs> I'm sure this is just the inaugural one. They'll be doing more. And it's interesting too, because they've partnered up with a number of companies and, and really what it is, it's a pitch competition. So, you know, you're going to learn how to um, uh, write a business plan and you're going to learn how to uh, build a business case and and the presenting part of it as well and they've got rbc and ellis dawn and i think ernst and young and also um toronto life magazine so everybody's got a role in it to help see how we can move forward some of these big projects awesome wow yeah. um, i guess kind of to just wrap things up here if you wanted to share either a cool story one that i kind of had in mind just because i got um, a plant tour at the Yes. <laughs> I don't know if you want to like maybe share the history of that like a little like quick story but or whatever you think is like going to be something that, that will resonate with um, our listeners. Yes yeah, so I um, had the privilege I will call it the privilege uh, to be the production manager down at the Suratum Beck uh, generating station so there's actually two well no there's more than two there's three stations all kind of clustered in uh, one part of um, the area there and so the first one uh, was built in the 1910s and there were lots of uh, men who came back from World War One, which is, I guess is kind of timely because we're a day after Remembrance Day, um, but they would be looking for work and so um, this was a big dream of Sir Adam Beck, Adam Beck at the time, but Sir Adam Beck he wanted uh, power for the people in Ontario, low cost power and he wanted to harness you know what was available through Niagara Falls or you know just uh, the fact that there was a lot of water through the Niagara River and uh, then it was you know we as I said they had high head so you know you need that change, spin the turbine, spin the generator. And so they uh, they built that generating station. And Lauren, you would have gone in that one, right? Yeah. <laughs> so it, it was interesting because they also built a canal, an open cut canal from the from one part of and, and this was at the top of the falls. And let's say it went like 15, 20 kilometers to get to where they actually built the station. So they diverted water. And they had a, uh, from what I understand, the architect for that station used to design cathedrals. 
So you go into the main powerhouse and it's beautiful. Like the, you can see how the ceiling has uh, form and fashion and the windows are big and beautiful. And so um, that was very typical of the time. The craftsmanship and aesthetics were an important thing. So that station is about uh, 500 megawatts. It was 10 units, 500 megawatts. And then in the 1950s, they built one right next door, and that was Sir Adam Beck II, which is the largest uh, hydroelectric power um, plant in the province. And it produces 1500 megawatts, and it's 16 units. And I always find it very fascinating because if you drove along the Niagara Parkway and you were, you know, you could see the beautiful powerhouse for Sir Adam Beck I, because it's there and it had the ivy and the beautiful windows. Well, you wouldn't even realize you were driving past Sir Adam Beck too, because it's very industrial and very utilitarian. There's not much to it. And that's that was the thought in the 50s. It's like, just let's get these things built. And we actually built, oh, I would say maybe 20 generating stations of a good size in the 50s. But again, coming out of World War II, people looking, you know, to get jobs and get infrastructure going and, and why not? There was a lot of uh, power, water available in the province to take advantage of. But um, that's what I always remark about those two stations. They are so different and yet, uh, you know, each have their own interesting history. Uh, well, yeah, that, I mean, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, I think that's a perfect way to kind of take uh, cut things off there. Really learned a lot, like myself, even just to understand more about your role and OPG's role in just power in, in Ontario. That's very exciting for me. Um, I'm definitely going to look more into that, some of that stuff that you mentioned there. Um, I'm, I'm really fascinated in just where renewable energy is going, alternative energy sources. Um, so, yeah, I think yeah. for me too, coming out of like graduating from university, I'm definitely looking to get into a role that kind of plays um, with renewable energy and power generation. So I think maybe potentially applying to OPG would be something cool. Yeah, well, I think, you know what, that's, that's the nice thing. Um, I, I encourage you, yeah, to uh, really go after where your passions lie. Um, it does make a difference. You want to get up every day. You want to go to work. You want to be excited. And I will say there is so much going on. Like every time I turn around, I'm excited about something, you know. So there's definitely uh, lots of opportunity for yourselves and your listeners to explore, you know, what can you do in, in this part of the uh, the sector. And I would say, you know, with climate change, um, also, if it doesn't have to do with power production proper, uh, you know, wetlands, water management, yeah, there's a lot still <laughs> that all ties into it. So anyhow, well, it was a pleasure uh, talking to both of you. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this podcast. If you would like to learn more, visit us at www.last20.ca. Until next time, stay sustainable.